from Relay FM. This is the Pen Addict Podcast, episode 504. Today's show is brought to you by Harry's, Pen Chalet, and Topofolio. My name is Brad Dowdy, and today I am joined by Jacob, also known as Food A Fan in our little slowly growing to be big community. Welcome to the show, Jacob, and uh, thank you. Thank you for all the time zone math that you had to do to make this happen. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's a bit surreal because I've heard your voice so many times <laughs> on the podcast, so it's nice to be able to talk to you. Yeah, and and it's good. It's funny you say that. Like you and I, like I listen to you all the time. You and Cy over at uh, the Tokyo Inklings podcast, and I've actually talked to Cy for my members podcast. So mm. I feel like, well, let me talk to Jacob this time. But I'm I'm gonna put him on the, on the spot and and on the on the Pen Attic podcast where everyone gets to listen. So, <laughs> um, but but you're you're a, you're a stationary professional now, right? You're a stationary. You're a blogger. You're a podcaster. You're an amazing photographer on on uh, instagram look i love looking out your stationary stuff but what i i have to start with and i think hopefully our, our listeners would enjoy this uh conversation as well is what's your background with stationary how did you kind of get into this stuff to where you're at today what was what was uh discovering stationary for the first time in your life like when you thought about what you were using mm. yes i would say i grew up in a house full of pens and paper because my my parents were both working as journalists back then mm. and they weren't like collecting pens per se they didn't care so much about what pens they bought but they always wanted to have at least a handful of pens in good condition ready to write at any point in time so they kept buying mm. more and more pens just to have them ready and this being sweden most of those pens were these ballograph ballpoints yeah so yeah so and like i i don't know how old you are and i'm not going to ask but we're just going to say at that time they're probably leaning on just the the landline phone and the notebook and pen they need to pick up to do their job right <laughs> for sure for sure yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so the ballograph i guess I, I from what i've heard is just kind of ubiquitous in sweden right that's like the pen you kind of find everywhere from households to offices to to banks and you know official offices right yeah it's definitely the most ubiquitous pen brand it might be the only swedish pen brand i'm not sure but mm-hmm. yeah you can find it absolutely everywhere so when you had like access to this stuff, would you would you stash some of that away for for school, or did you just kind of you know just use whatever is available? And how did you go from you know using the the ballograph and mm. the notebooks at home into finding something else in stationery? So early on, I'll say I had more of a mild casual interest in stationery. In school, mm. I think it was mostly pencils, like wood case pencils, and later. Mechanical pencils, which by the way, also were ballographs, everything ballograph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I didn't really get into stationery as a hobby until much later when I went to Japan. So maybe fast forward a bit to talk a little bit about how that yeah. ha- happened. So back at university in Sweden, I had this idea that I wanted to study abroad one year. I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go, but I wanted some something of an adventure, I guess. So I thought maybe like Asia, somewhere in Asia, roughly that direction could be fun. And so I went to my university's like exchange exchange program desk, and they happened to have one exchange program with a university in Japan. 
in Sendai in northern Japan. So I applied for that and um, somehow I got in. So I went there and spent one year in Sendai in northern Japan uh, as a student. And that was in many ways such an like such a great experience for me. I, mean, I came mm. to love Japan almost instantaneously. There were so many things, not just stationary, but I remember being struck by like how high tech the country was. I mean, this was mm-hmm. before this was before you know the iPhone and the smartphones. So my idea of a cell phone back then was this giant Nokia brick with like <laughs> a black and white uh, low res display, right? While in Japan, they had these slender, colorful clamshell phones with like color displays. And you could even go to, a, go to a convenience store or a vending machine and pay for stuff with your phone. It was like science fiction to me at the time. So yeah. I liked that part. I liked the fact that everyone was so, so kind to me. I remember like walking around trying to ask for direction in my horribly broken Japanese and went, <laughs> And when they couldn't explain the direction because I didn't understand, they offered to walk with me for a good like five, ten minutes to show this lost foreigner where to go. And there were many things like that I liked about Japan. And early on, you know, being a student and even stationary, I discovered the big Marizen store near Sendai Station. And that was like an eye opener because they had more colorful pens and paper than I've ever seen in my life before <laughs> we're gonna talk we're gonna get it get into some of the japanese japanese stationery shops and and some of that mm. um here in a minute i want to know just that morazan shop at the time how big was was that shop knowing that I, I maybe i'm wrong but you know maybe it's not as big as some of the shops in tokyo but just relatively speaking what would what would it compare to like you're walking into the first time and seeing something like this yeah, so Morrison is, I'll say, primarily a bookstore. So most of the shop okay. was was books, but they had a fairly large stationery section, and it was mostly the fact that they had pens that I'd never seen before, and just more colorful mm-hmm. pens and just brands I'd never seen before, and also they had this so like irresistible retail displays. You could you could try it all, and you know you you it, it's hard not to it's hard to to not buy something when you go in there and everything looks so attractive. Do you remember some of the the stationery you bought at the time or the things that you used for that that year of school that that stick out in your mind? So I was pretty cheap because I was a student. Uh, I remember buying, I'm not sure if this was when I was a student or if it was later, but I was still very much a ballpoint person, I would say, back mm-hmm. then. And I remember Pilot had two kind of high-end ballpoint pens called, one's called a Fumiraku, which I think mm-hmm. may have been a Japan exclusive, but it's it's basically a ballpoint that takes this Acroball, like hybrid refills, but it's a nicer pen with a like, wooden grip. Uh, I think it's anodized too. And and then Acro Drive, which is another like nice metal ballpoint pen. So I wasn't at that point into fountain pens that came a bit later. Yeah, yeah. And I guess one of the things I'm always curious about is when you're a student, mm. 
is stationary, like analog stationary, even at that time when in a more analog world is it's pretty prevalent, right? Like I, there's laptops and things like that at the time in, in school, but in Japan, is it is it very heavily analog at the time you were in school? Yeah, I remember taking a lot, lot of notes. I remember all the students, mm-hmm. they, they brought their notebooks and there was a lot of note taking yeah. for sure. Yeah, yep. So when did that transition into fountain pens mm. happen? How much, uh, say, longer after school? Like, did you go back home after this one year and you, you were back in uh, Sweden for a time? Yes, I went back home to, back home to Sweden after that one year, but I, mm-hmm. I was determined to get, go back to Japan because I just loved being there and I looked at various options. And this was before the financial crisis so the times were good and the various mm-hmm. international firms in Tokyo were looking to expand and yeah they were like desperately looking for to hire people so it was a good timing for me so I managed to land a job in Tokyo so I so I went to Tokyo and started working in Tokyo and I think that's when I got more into stationery and eventually into fountain pens and one factor here was that my office was literally within walking distance from both Marzen and Itoya. <laughs> I giggle because and and you have I and you and I have, have just talked about this before just you know over mm. Twitter or something just the conversations just the ability a lot of people have in Japan especially in the in the bigger cities mm. to look out their office window and you know, just be able to point at the different different stationary stores. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're gonna pick up on that. I I have a I have a lot to talk to you about sure. uh, today, Jacob. So let me get to one of my my first ads today, just so we can get into this a little bit more, and we'll we'll start ex- exploring your return mm. uh, to Tokyo and really get into it here. Uh, but let me talk about our good friends over at Harry's. This episode of the Pen Attic is brought to you by Harry's. Everyone loves an underdog, and with a company like Harry's, you can rely on the best quality and construction methods in the razor game with incredibly fair pricing. I've been using Harry's for, gosh, I can't even think how many years I've been using them. I, I just re-upped my, uh, my razor blades. You can get a 12-pack uh, of blades for like under two bucks a blade, and they last forever, so it makes them like the, the best deal on the market. So they're they're just the best and new customers to Harry's. You can redeem a Harry's trial set for just $3. Like this is a set with the handle and the razor blades. You can test them out when you go to harrys.com slash pinag. Harry's believes you should, shouldn't have to choose between a close, comfortable shave and a fair price. So they give you both. In fact, Harry's blades are designed to stay sharp longer. In a recent study, people who shave four times a week said their eighth shave was as smooth as their first. That's a better experience with every shave and savings over time. Harry's is giving their best offer to Panatic listeners. New Harry's customers can redeem a starter set. You get a five-blade razor, a weighted handle, foaming shave gel with aloe, and a travel cover to protect your blades when you're on the go. That's a $13 value for just $3. There's never been a time, a better time to try Harry's. Go to harrys.com slash to try Harry's today. Our thanks to Harry's for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I need Harry's as a sponsor because I follow you and everything you and <laughs> CY get up to in Japan, and it costs me a lot of money. So you're working now in Japan, and you're seeing, you have this access, right? You have this newfound access yeah. to products. So what did that transition look like when you went from 
the ballpoint pens mm. that you were using as a student and then you make a return trip as a professional now. And I'm assuming you're, when you go back, are you assuming you're living there full time or are you looking at a shorter term, you know, not to get too much into mm. your work or life or business, but like, are you like, Hey, I'm moving to Japan and this is where I live now. Yeah. Well, that wasn't, you know, once I moved back to, to talking to Tokyo, I didn't really think about how long I was going to be there, but I've been here gotcha. since then and 15 years now. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to ask you how long you've been there. So about 15 years now. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So what was, um, when you got back and you, you started working and what was it like when you discovered fountain pens in Japan? Yeah. So I can't remember exactly what a catalyst was, but, but it may have been some, again, irresistible retail display, but at one <laughs> There were there are a lot of those. If you come visit yeah. here, you're going to see what I mean. Oh, we're gonna t- <laughs> we're gonna talk about that. Believe me. But I remember buying a, a pilot cocoon. So not cocoon, but cocoon, which is the Japanese yep. name for the Metropolitan. Yep. And I bought a few others. And I remember, but I didn't. I wasn't into like bottle ink. I did, hadn't discovered bottle ink at the time as I was buying cartridges. And I remember I loved how the pens wrote at first, but inevitably i i neglected them and they were drying out and i I, when you have a converter or like a piston field you can just like you can easily push some ink up to the feed and you're ready to go again right but when you have a cartridge cartridge pen you have to either like squeeze the cartridge or like dip dip (laughs) the nib in water right to get it going again and and that part frustrated me quite a lot to the point where to the point where I was so frustrated that I even threw away some pens. Ah. And uh, do you remember a podcast episode with Mike, like Horror Stories, Hall of Shame, someone who was crazy enough to throw away a Pilot M90? Yes. That was me. No. No, Jacob. Okay, we're going to have to end this show. Or at least <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm going to tell Mike not to listen or to like skip this part. No. Okay, tell me, tell me that. Yes, yeah, so it's just it's just the cartridge situation, right? Because that that's just kind of like what they're really built for. Even though you could fit, you know, the the, the Con Twenty converter or whatever it's called in there. Yeah, there were some factors here. I mean, in my defense, and this is not much of a defense, but I didn't realize that there was much of a special pen because <laughs> I recall buying this pen on Rock 10, which was sort of the Amazon of Japan back then, before Amazon mm. became Amazon of Japan. <laughs> I, so I, for some reason, I decided I wanted to buy a fountain pen, and I went to Rock 10, and I just searched literally for the term fountain pen, and the M90 must have been just available then. So mm. I, it just showed up early in the list, up in the listing, and it had good reviews, and it looked pretty cool. So yeah, might as well get one of these. So I bought one. Yeah. And uh, there were a few things I didn't like. I thought it was just too small for my hands. Well, if I had sure. if I had read the product description, I could have discovered that before I bought it. But yeah, it was too <laughs> small. There was something I didn't like about how it wrote, which was probably entirely my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and then due to my neglect, it eventually dried out. And I said, I don't like the pen to begin with. I And again, uh, I didn't realize that this was a special pen. Sure. So I just threw it away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like the perfect storm. Like, if you <laughs> wait, if you were any other week or two weeks away from the day you decided to do that, it, you're not buying that pen, right? It, there just weren't that many of them made. Mm. 
and <laughs> but I'm glad you did, even <laughs> though you threw it away. Oh, I am, I am, I, I am out of words for that. That is an amazing story, and this just goes to show you, listeners, that we have all you know, traveled these same paths, right? And a lot of y'all that are listening now are doing the things that Jacob and I, it sounds like we've been kind of into fountain pens in a similar length of time. Um, that like this stuff happens <laughs> to the best of us and we all have these stories. Well, I mean, I didn't throw away a pilot M90, sorry, Jacob, but um, <laughs> it was still like this stuff happens and it's like, sometimes you just don't know and sometimes you got to figure it out. But what got you over the hump of, okay, I am frustrated with some of these products and I've literally thrown away <laughs> what mm. ended up being a really popular, famous pen. Um, so what, what made you, uh, you know, try a fountain pen again? I think it had to do with a bottled ink. I remember going to a, an art supply store in Tokyo called Sekaido, and they had this uh, relatively new at the time, Hiroshizuki inks. Like the, mm-hmm. the, I think it was, for some reason, Fuyo Shogun in particular was particularly appealing to me. And I realized that I needed not only a fountain pen for that, but I needed an actual uh, a converter. So mm-hmm. I may have bought a Pilot Custom 74, or something like that and uh, and um, so I and I was determined to this time to get it to work so I figured out eventually how to do proper care and maintenance and and once I did that then I realized that fountain pens are pretty great and yeah. it snowballed after that and I ended up buying more pens I went on YouTube and found you know Stephen Brown Goulet pens pen habits a certain pen addict blog and before you knew it i was at pelican house talking to like-minded people <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing all right so your your comment there uh just made me have the the perfect lead into the next topic i want to uh, touch on so your first three fountain pen well you know relatively speaking that mm. that you have you know usage of were pilot 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 what's the stationary marketing like there like you were talking about i want to get into some of the retailers Mm. and some of the shops and things in japan but what's just the general stationary marketing like over there do they put a focus on all parts of stationary right like from you know your entry levels you know school young age school stationary all the way up into fountain pens like are you seeing fountain pen advertising and things like that i wouldn't say that you know if you go if you I mean, if you take the subway in Japan, you see all kinds of ads. You may see like stationary mm-hmm. ads, but that's not going to be fountain pens. It could be okay. you know that's what I figured. Colorful ballpoints and and stationary for school and so on. The main line, more main line yeah. type of product. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what do you think drew you to Pilot in those stores? Just like the in-store displays, getting to test everything out. Maybe it felt good, you know, or just the price points. Like that's what I always praise Pilot mm-hmm. for is they do something so well at every single price point. Yeah, that might have been a factor, but I think it was just that was. I think Pilot just has most shelf space at most of yeah. the stationary stores. It's like it's a Pilot, Platinum, and and Celebes being a distant third. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's say in, in I'm gonna I'm gonna show my ignorance here. So let me let me see if I can pose this question correctly because I hear about Atoya a lot, mm. 
and it's kind of i mean they have multiple stores right but they have do they have like say a flagship store Mm. that's like several floors of stationery and what is your experience with like a store like that Mm. yeah so itoya has a few stores uh, across japan by far the largest one is the flagship store in the ginza in tokyo which is this like upscale shopping district in tokyo and this is a 12-story building that's that's all about stationery. So so there's one floor dedicated to like letter writing. There's one floor about like office stationery, like ballpoints and rulers and notepads and what have you. Mm -hmm. There's one floor about fountain pens and ink. One floor about planners, especially like system planners, like a plotter. One floor about like art supplies, like desk decoration and whatnot. So this is a huge shop. Wow. And I would spend the entire day there if I was a visitor, but I'm assuming <laughs> living there, you kind of, you know, you kind of go when, when you can or if it's a special trip or whatever. So what, how does Atoya, Atoya's place in the market for someone who's say like yourself or like CY who are like the super fans, do they still shop at a place like Atoya or are you looking for like the smaller, more dedicated, more, you know, personal, independent type of shops, if you Mm. will? So I would say generally there are three reasons why I go to Itoya. One is that it's probably the best place to get all kinds of interesting planner refills. Mm. And have a wider selection than pretty much anywhere else. It's also a good place to buy ink, including new brands that aren't otherwise available in Japan. Okay. The third reason is that Itoya sales staff are usually better informed about upcoming products and releases than anyone else, including... And they don't even realize themselves how well informed they are. So let me give you an example of that. A few months ago, there were these rumors that Pilot was going to discontinue three Hiroshizuku inks, right? And there were some rumors on, like, I think, a Korean site. It may have been Pilot South Korea's official Instagram account, but there was no information whatsoever in Japanese. There was no information in English. So I went to Itoya. And I asked them, is it true that these inks are going to be discontinued? And they confirmed it. They, I mean, this was hmm. more than a month before there was any announcement from Pilot Japan. Yeah, that is true. This is going to happen. Not only that, there's going to be three new inks. So they knew that mm. so early on. Gotcha. So they're not only like kind of the biggest, they're also one of the best. And they also probably kind of drive the market, right? They have they have the the pull or the muscle to just have all of the information because they're going to get access to all of this stuff when it happens. And luckily for you, the staff is, is well informed enough to, to communicate to you that as a customer, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, I, um, yeah, I just find that whole concept so interesting. It's, it's completely foreign to me. Like there's, I've never had that type of experience, mm. right? Like I have retailers who I deal with online because, you know, they're, you know, a thousand miles away from me or mm. whatever. But like, you know, I'm not fortunate enough to have like a shop, like say like Venice Pens, where mm. I can just walk in and have these discussions and get that type of information. So, wow. Yeah, that that's, uh, that's kind of uh, messing with my head a little bit. It's, it's <laughs> really, really interesting. Uh, because like you, go ahead. So there's one more reason, uh, 
Oh, there's one reason why many people go to the big retail stores like Itoya, and that mm-hmm. is that they often have these so-called pen clinics. Mm-hmm. So you don't go to a pen clinic to get a grind like a cursive italic. You go to a pen clinic because your pen might not be writing as as well as you wanted it to. Maybe it's an issue with like the times being misaligned or the nib and feed are misaligned or there's some dried out ink or whatever it may be. So these pen clinics are really quite popular. And in fact, I know people who go to these pen clinics and bring their pens that are actually writing well. It's like you go to, it's like an annual health checkup for your pen. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Wow. So they they will just say, "Hey, it, it's basically like a, like a automobile maintenance, something you do every day here in the U.S. You're driving a car, and you have to go get it checked up on, make sure it's going to continue to drive well. The people who are using their fountain pens, well, that's their daily workhorse pen. They're going to come um, to to the pen clinic mm. and get get the tune up, if you will, right? Exactly. I'm going to diverge from the uh, the the topic list here because you brought up something uh, a question in my mind and i think i heard it from you and see why discussing so say these pen clinics and they'll have uh for lack of a better term nib meisters for uh, feel free to correct me if we want to you know direct it a different way but is the general sense from say like a pen clinic or any nib meister who's set up at a retailer they generally don't want to modify nibs. Is that something I heard from you and see why that that's like a real kind of almost a disrespectful thing? Yeah, that's definitely true. There's always been these nib workers that do offer to do nib grinds, but some of them mm-hmm. are actually quite opinionated. You can go to them and say, I want this grind. And they look at the nib and say, no, you don't need that. It's fine. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. That's that's I love that like that dedication to ne- yeah. <laughs> to say no, this is the way it is. <laughs> it's kind of wild. So the these pen clinics, will you also have, say at a, a Toyo or any other store you'd like to mention, will retailers do like special days or like a special pop-up shop or what we would call maybe a trunk show where the retailers will come in for like the weekend and, you know, just have like a dedicated representation from a brand, say pilot and customers can come and, and look at that type of stuff separate from what would normally be in the shop. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, Itoi in particular tends to have this like one week when they have when you're promoting pilot products, and they also have like one week when they promote planners or ink or something like that. So, Itoya is one of the few retailers in Japan, I believe, that has a dedicated event space. So one of those to- twelve floors oh. is a dedicated event space. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. All right, so. This might not be a question you can answer, or at least maybe not fair to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I want to know the answer. So if tomorrow you have a plan, say, I want to go check out like this new release. This is a cool pen. I want to see, you know, check it out for myself. What store are you going to? So unless I know that it's a exclusive to a particular store my first option would probably be to go to itoya and ask even if okay. they, even if they don't have it the sales staff might know something that would lead me in the right direction so you're saying when i come to japan itoya is my number one stop 
It's yeah, it's definitely worth a visit for for various <laughs> reasons. It's not. It, I wouldn't say it's my favorite stationery store in Tokyo, though. That sure might be Kakimori, actually. So Kakimori, okay. I think, might be. It has in recent like last few months, I guess, become popular overseas because of these uh, metal dip nibs, right? And mm-hmm. to let to letter extent, <laughs> right? And also the the, um, the inks, but what Kakimori is known for in Japan is make your own notebooks. So you go to the Kakimori store, you pick up a tray, and first of all you choose what paper you want. And they got like Tomo River, Bank Paper, OK Fools, and like two dozens of papers you've never heard of before. And you can try them all. You can bring your own pens and try, of course. And there are all kinds of fountain pens, inked up fountain pens and ballpoints and whatnot that you can borrow and try all whatever paper you want. And then once you choose what, what paper you want and how much you want, uh, you choose back cover, you choose a front cover, you choose what binding or rather what kind of rings you want. And then they make the, they make the notebook for you, that your very own unique notebook. Gotcha. Okay, I've seen this, and I didn't put two and two together that they're making the stainless steel dip nib that I chased for like three months until I finally mm. <laughs> until I finally got one. They're also the ones who kind of you know do have this this whole notebook setup that I've mm. I've seen before and read articles on and seen reviews of that just seems like really really fascinating. Okay, so what one thing I don't have a grasp of in the market and maybe it's unfair of me to even like think of things this way and I probably shouldn't but what how do you relate like a store like Kakamori to a Toya as far as like size goes as far as like you know is it more of like a a, a family ownership or do company just like a company own it or you know what is their place in the market versus someone like a Toya and how do they coexist to where like a toy is just not like pulling an Amazon to everyone in the market right where mm. they're you know taking over the market how does uh, Kakamori fit into this whole picture in stores like that that's an interesting question yeah Itoya has I mean, has a bit of everything right but and, mm-hmm. and Itoya even has its own like, make your own notebook actually mm-hmm. but it's not nearly like the amount, the types of paper you get to choose from is not nearly as extensive as Kakimori. Uh, so I think these specialized stores, they're always better at whatever they're specializing in, right? It's, it's like a okay. restaurant. You can go to a restaurant that has everything, or you can go to a sushi restaurant that is, makes the best sushi in town. Gotcha. I, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And have you, in your time in Japan, have you seen more or less of these access to physical brick and mortar stationary stores like have you noticed like coming and going do you think there's more now than over the last decade like 10 years ago do you think the market's different do you see new stores coming in or do you see old stores going away what's your just general sense of that i'm not sure i've seen stores coming and going what i've seen is more focus on ink and on glass pens and to some extent fountain pens than before mm-hmm. because there's this you may have heard about that there's this thing in japan going on called ink numa which directly translates to ink swamp but more a better translation would be like ink fever like 
people are as obsessed with inks here. And usually they start with, you know, glass pens and dip pens, but some of them end up starting using uh, fountain pens like Kakunos mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And you see even some like traditional stationery stores that previously wasn't really, that previously focused more on like office stationery, start selling inks and, and dip pens and sometimes even fountain pens. Do you think that's an effect of like what you and I see a lot is the, like the really personal nature of an, a pen and an ink that kind of fits you and, and these these personalities of the products are coming out in in the Japanese market more so than, hey, these are like really cool tools that I can use every day. But hey, I can also have this journal that I can create in and this planner that I cre- can create in. And oh, by the way, I can go mix my ink and, and pick up a, a glass dip nib that like really speaks to me. Do you see like that type of effect? I'm not sure. I think for this new generation of fountain pen users, the fountain pen is just the way, a delivery mechanism for the ink, right? It doesn't really mm-hmm, matter mm-hmm. if it's a preppy or a kakuno. Uh, but I think gotcha. eventually... That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's wild. All right. So we're going to explore this ink a little bit more, I think, in this next topic I want to discuss. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a big one. I have, I have again, Jacob, shocker. I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> so let me uh, let me talk about our good friends over at Pen Chalet real quick. And then we're going to talk about Tips, the, um, the big stationary show in Japan. So this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Penchalet. They sell authentic, amazing rollerballs, fountain pens, ballpoints, mechanical pencils, and so much more. They have all of your favorite brands like Monteverde, Pelican, Lamy, Pilot Namiki, Sailor, and Kaveco, and are, of course, an authorized dealer of all of these brands. They have very fast and reliable customer service. They run special discounts twice a month, including closeout specials every two weeks. They're always adding new styles of pens every single month. As well as the brands mentioned earlier, Pen Chalet sells limited edition pens and all the pen accessories you ever need, like pen carrying cases, pen holders, refills, fountain pen converters, and so much more. There's free shipping on orders over $50 in the United States, and they also sell internationally with very reasonable shipping rates. Pen Chalet has low prices on high quality pens and offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to penchalet.com, click on the podcast link at the top of the website, enter the password PENADDICT for this week's special offer, and to get the code you need to save 10, 10% off on anything at Penchalet. So, Jacob, I pulled up this this spot on Penchalet, and right at the top, this is going to lead into a question I'm going to ask you in a minute. They have the Pelican Special Edition Classic 200 Golden Barrel Fountain Pen, which was last year's... Um, 200 series uh, limited edition. They have a great price on that. And if you scroll down, they have the Pelican Suveron 400 Silver White. So Pelican was in the news recently. They're making some changes here and, and um, you know, bringing some colors back and making some changes to their pens. So this might be a chance for you to go get uh, some of these really, really cool Pelican. So again, go to penchalet.com, click the podcast link at the top of the website, enter the password penaddict, for these special offers. Thanks so much to Pen Chalet for sponsoring Relay FM and the Pen Attic. So my question is, before we get into tips, is Pelican a big deal in Japan? I would definitely say so. Out of the, like, I don't have any numbers to back it up, but just based mm-hmm. on what I'm seeing, of the, of the Western brands, mm-hmm. 
I think Pelican might be number one. So the popular Western brands are Pelican, Mont Blanc, Aurora, and to lesser extent, Lavme, I would say. Those are probably the okay. most common ones. Okay. And I don't know what this, I don't know how to ask this question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. So re- compared to the Japanese, say the Japanese big three, would you say their popularity is like definitively lower, but they're pretty popular in their own right for people who like fountain pens? Or is there in some kind of, you know, like would Pelican be like up there with like Platinum or Sailor, but maybe not Pilot as far as like what people see in, at fountain pen stores and what they're using? So I think considering the the price point, I don't think you see as many like... Uh, <laughs> True people getting into Pelicans early on, but out of the collectors here, you see a lot of Pelican fans for sure. Interesting, interesting. All right, so you might see some of these at the Tokyo International Pen Show. So can you tell me a little bit about the Tokyo International Pen Show? It's, I know it's just kind of, it's getting bigger and better like every few years. I know we've had some, some you know, some COVID downturns in, in this show going on. Mm. And... But everything I read is that this show is on a big time upward trajectory. So can you tell me like what your experience has been? Yeah, it's been around for like three or four years now, right? So it's a fairly mm-hmm. new show. And I would say early on, like the first one was more of a general stationary show, I would say, in the sense that you had pen vendors, of course, but you have a lot of ink and you have a lot of general paper and stationary products which was probably a good idea because ink was whack and continues to be so popular. And in particular, what they did well was that they managed to get these small regional stores all over mm-hmm. Japan to come to tips because there's this concept in Japan called like gotoji ink or like regional inks. So you have these small stores like in like Yamagata, Fukushima, uh, Totori or whatever and they have their own short ex- store exclusive ink and you cannot but generally buy them online so you have to go on like a five hour Shinkansen trip if you want to buy those things normally mm. so these are sought after inks but unless you have like a week to spend on a Shinkansen you, you can't go buy all of them right <laughs> yeah so if you live in Tokyo and you want to get those things tips was one of the best places to do that so I think that was part of the earliest success that it managed to get those vendors to come to tips. Um, I think the most recent tips was more pen focused in the sense that you had some vin- vintage pen vendors, you had some very small pen makers that I hadn't even heard about before, like uh, Furuta and Ageworks. So it becomes more and more of an pen-focused show from from mm. a more stationary, general stationary show. That's interesting. So I, I always listen, I mean, I listen to your podcast every time it comes out, but I've always listened with great interest when y'all do the, the tips recaps. Mm. And last year y'all did a live, y'all did a live show um, there at the show. And I always remember like, see why and maybe i don't know if it was you to a lesser extent just being like really i need to get these inks like quickly right <laughs> like it was it was a big deal right and then to hear okay maybe it's still a, a big deal but now we have 
these new makers mm. in the community that have made their way to this show, I that seems like really, really positive. Yeah, for sure. And I heard that by attendance numbers, TIPS is now the world's largest pen show. So not stationary show, but the world's largest mm-hmm. uh, pen show. So it's just grown significantly, and I'm looking forward to see what how this year's show turns out. I'm yeah. hearing rumors, by the way, about pen addict going to tips you know we got the most positive news what just in the past week or two that the travel restrictions are starting to loosen up a little bit to where it wouldn't be you know too much of an issue to travel Mm. so we have budgeted and saved money from a couple years ago just for this trip and we were supposed to go last year or this year no, we were supposed to go. Yeah, we were supposed to go last year, mm-hmm. and we obviously had to cancel that for just COVID reasons. But we're coming. I, I whether I guarantee it's this year, um, I can't say for sure, just because I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I'm not hiding that fact. I just don't know. You know, the state of the world changes every day. Uh, it seems, but I imagine between this year and next year, we're gonna be there. And like, I, I, I can't wait. Um, cause I obviously, you know, have a bunch of friends there that I want to see. I want to hang out with you guys. I want to, you know, experience the show mm. and just to hear you say like the growth, seeing the growth of the show and, and talking to people involved with the show, even in a travel restricted year, like last year it is pretty amazing. Um, how was the, the show handling like the, is the show been able to grow as like the, the amount of vendors come, uh, increases and the amount of people, uh, increase. You think that's something that, uh, they have the, the space for and the, the ability to, to handle the growth. Yeah. I mean, they, they have, um, the venue is very, very good. There's definitely enough space mm-hmm. to grow. And I think the show is overall so well organized uh, compared to some other uh, shows. And yeah, I have no doubt that they will be able to scale it up further if more people yeah. will go to the show. So one thing I want to mention to our listeners who don't follow this stuff as closely as I do, when you look at pictures, say, from last year's uh, Tips Pin Show, they have volunteers in like noticeable say like a vest or something to to where Mm. you can see like someone in the room that can help you get directions to the things you want to check out and that's something you never see um or very rarely see outside of like the the front desk at a in a us-based pen show that i've that i go to right so like you can find things out when you arrive but once you're actively you know, in the show, if you have like questions come up, mm. seeing that, I thought that's like a really cool feature. Like that's that's thoughtfulness in the show promoters to to do that type mm. of thing. I thought that was a, a really really neat touch. Yeah, for sure. By the way, while we are on a topic of tips, there's an in- fun story I want to tell about last. Yeah, <laughs> last I year's literally, show. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break the fourth wall here. Literally, while you were talking, I moved the topic we're gonna about to cover right up to this section here, so I could remember to ask you. So I I want to hear this story because I'm not even sure I know the full story, right. even though I ended up being involved in it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So about one week before tips, I got a message from someone who wishes to remain anonymous but let's just say you know who that person is (laughs) and this mysterious person said uh, we can probably get you some samples of uh, of, um, 
some paper that you really want. Uh, we just need to. He, they didn't say Tommy River's successor, but that was like implied. We just mm-hmm. we just double checking with the manufacturer that this this is fine. So we'll get back mm-hmm. to you in a few days. So I said, okay, mm-hmm. I'm intrigued <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and I got another email, and they said we're ready to go. Um, but here are your instructions. You need to go to tips and you need to find this person. Let's call them the paper supplier. You need to find this paper <laughs> supplier. And you need to tell him the following. You need to tell him or you need to ask him, are there any good takoyaki restaurants around here? So takoyaki is this Japanese snack that with like round balls with the octopus inside. So this has nothing to do with okay. paper. Are there any good takoyaki restaurants around here? And you should expect the paper supplier to reply, no, I'm not from this area. I don't know. And then <laughs> upon hearing that reply, I was supposed to look upset and say, there just aren't any good takoyaki restaurants in Tokyo because they don't put enough taco in the, no, enough octopus in a takoyaki. This is completely like random and it's like an inside joke. But the reason why for this for this conversation is that the paper supplier is from a region of Japan that is very famous for takoyaki. <laughs> I am dying over here. <laughs> that Joel actually had these conversations to do basically like the the top secret paper handoff, right? Yes. It's like the J like the James Bond handoff. and you were successful and you talk you talked about it like right there on on your live show right did i think it happened before the live show and you had already like done some testing and stuff right like that's how soon you got it yeah so so i i found found this person and we had our (laughs) octopus conversation (laughs) and i got the package and i walked down to a cafe just near nearby cafe and since I knew that I was going to get this paper, I had brought all kinds of pens with like food nibs, course nibs, music nibs, all kinds of like ink testing, uh, sort of paper testing pens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sitting there in a the corner doing my secret paper test. What I didn't realize was that just a few meters away from me, see why I was sitting there talking to someone. <laughs> and, and I was supposed to keep quiet about this and not tell anyone. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my... Explicit instruction was don't tell anyone before the live stream. So mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. was sitting there, see where I was a few meters away. Fortunately, he did not see me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he would have he would have been in your business for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, Jacob? Let me what let let me see this. Let me see this. <laughs> I can see him right now. <laughs> and yeah, because also they they didn't want you to uh to know that that you had it so people weren't coming up and asking you to right. to try it and and have it getting out and then uh kindly very few weeks later i had a, a envelope arrive from uh, an unnamed source um that basically came it looked like like in the confidential <laughs> right like, secret packaging and i was just dying and it was great so since we're on this topic, let's let's hit this up with Tomoe River real quick. And you have been at the forefront of kind of tracking like our changes, the things that we care about that no one else in the world cares about right. deeply. <laughs> but 
like it's very valuable to have someone with like the information that you have and the the ability to share that with us so can you say anything or do you know anything of this new Tomoe River successor since tips that's been what four months now five months are we going to see anything um in the near term with this new paper so I heard back then that it will be available sometime between January and March this year. They weren't mm-hmm. quite sure because it depends on how fast they could sell out the stock, like existing inventory of quote unquote new Tomo River. Gotcha. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Since then, I heard uh, revised estimates of, uh, first half of this year, so on, until June. So okay. that's the latest I've heard. So, yeah, so hopefully we'll get something this year for uh, for more, more people to check out. Mm. I think it's going to do well, right? Like, it's not the same, right? Mm. It's it's never going to be the same. And that's what I always, like, bang the drum on. It's like, and that's why I don't want them to use the original name is right. Because then we'll always have to hearken back to, like, the paper that we can no longer have. I'm ready for it to be new, freshly branded um, because it's going to be good, right? Mm. It's There's no doubt that it's good paper. It's also not you know, the 52 GSM Tomoe River paper that everyone loves, right? It's it's slightly different. I would describe it as as having slightly more texture, but it's a very, very subtle difference. Yep. Uh, in my tests with like shading inks, like chroma shading, multi-shading inks, it performed just as well as mm-hmm. old Tomoe River. Maybe the sheen, I didn't try as much with sheening inks, but maybe the sheen isn't quite as pronounced as possible. Mm-hmm. But if you like chroma shading inks, like, you know, Sailor 1, 2, 3, and if mm-hmm. you don't like a little bit, and we're talking very subtle difference in like texture, then you're going to love this paper. Yeah, so I think you and I are like a, of, of the same belief. It's, it's going to do really well. It's going to be very popular once it releases, and it's going to satisfy, I think, the majority of people who might be, you know, missing, you know, the the original Tomoe River. Mm. So I, I, I think it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to that becoming a thing, and hopefully we'll get to see that later this year. All right, I want to get into some of your 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 personal stationery that um you know you use mm. you know how you became you know the the stationary content creator all-star that you are but first let me let me hit up our last sponsor of this this wonderful episode i I told jacob before the show that we're gonna have to have like a second and third appearance because i could just pick your brain all day about this stuff but let me talk about our good friends over at topo folio this episode is brought to you once again by topo folio last week we spoke about this awesome kickstarter project and it has now hit its funding goal so i'm a backer of this project i look forward to getting this and i'm excited that it's hit its funding so fellow pen addict Mike Lynn has created this project made for tech users with a strong bias for our analog tools. Mike polled hundreds of tech and tablet users to find out what they wanted in a perfect case to carry all their gear. One thing that kept coming up was that this case needs to be adaptable. Our needs can change daily, and while most cases are good at carrying just some things, the Topo Folio has been designed to be be completely versatile and modular. Custom magnetic inserts can be added or removed to help keep your gear easily accessible and perfectly organized. Each case comes with four of these inserts to make it work for almost anyone. Artists, designers, writers, travelers, creators, you name it. The adaptability means you can mix and match depending on who you are that day. Tablets are only becoming more and more powerful, but to do this, they often need extra accessories like keyboards, chargers, and styluses to be used effectively. This case is built to keep all these items organized in one place. 
There's also a hidden pocket to add an Apple tag or tile tracker to keep keep track of the case if it's ever lost or stolen. And this is his third Kickstarter project. Uh, Mike doesn't want to just make a great case. He also wants to source the fabric made from recycled plastic bottles called Reprieve. The fabric is naturally water resistant to help keep your gear safe. Support the uh, the Topofolio Kickstarter project now by going to originalcontentbooks.com slash topofolio. That's originalcontentbooks.com topofolio. Go and check it out now. And if you aren't familiar with original content books, I share out Mike's links all the time. He does really fun stationary links. He's a stationary person, and there's lots of stationary accessories uh, built into the Tolo, Topo Folio. So I'm excited to back it. And I, I appreciate Mike and Topo Folio for sponsoring the podcast this week. All right. <clears throat> so just reading that question or reading that sponsor spot, I realized there was one topic I didn't put in here. And we'll, we'll kick this off um, in, in this section of the podcast. And that's the drill log. Mm. And I'm bringing that up because that was a Kickstarter project secondarily, right? It was, you were, I, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but you were part of the reason that they moved from, hey, we're just going to sell these in Japan to there ended up being an outlet on Kickstarter. And I guess the broader question is not necessarily directly Trilog related, but do you see more of a willingness for Japanese creators to end up on a platform like Kickstarter now that they've opened it up a few years ago to Japanese makers? Do you see that becoming uh, even more so than, you know, like Drillog? And we've had a few other uh, projects come up recently. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've seen, as you mentioned, there's another one recently that that Moonlit found the pen. And I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the past, the OneShare and others have done uh, uh, Kickstarter products. There is like a Japanese version of Kickstarter called Makuaki, where but there are more of these projects, uh, like more like with domestic focus. So, mm-hmm. so there's definitely more crowdfunding going on in Japan than you can see on Kickstarter. But it's possible that that if they want to reach more wider audience, that mm-hmm. they are migrating from this Makuaki platform to Kickstarter. Gotcha. Yeah, I I, I see it come up like on occasion, and I. I said back at, at the time that I really hoped we would see some some neat stuff mm. coming out of that market. And I think we have so far. So I, I look forward to to you know what else is out there. So on that note, Drillog being a good example, what got you into wanting to share the things you discover online, you know, sharing it on Instagram, creating a blog at foodafan.com, you know, working on uh the podcast with with cy mm. how did you make kind of the change from and it's not really not that it's changed you personally but you started hey i'm a user and now i share things and talk to this cool stuff uh talk about this cool stuff with mm. other people what was that what was that like for you was that something like you did purposefully or did you just start sharing things and it just kind of grew from there so before I had my Kickstarter, sorry, Kickstarter, my Instagram, um, I, as any fountain pen collector user, I ended up inevitably with too many fountain pens and I wanted some fountain <laughs> pens to sell, right? And, you mm-hmm. know, that I got bored with or that I didn't use enough. And I found this Japanese secondhand marketplaces that are called like Mercari and Rakuma and Frill and Yahoo Auctions and so on. And I started trying to sell 
uh, like secondhand pens that I have bought but weren't using. And I quickly realized that the amount of time and effort I put into uh, the photography of the of the pens I was selling I directly translated to how how well I could could sell them and at the price I wanted. So hmm. for that reason, mostly I started thinking more about how can I take better photos of my pens so that I can sell them. Right? That, <laughs> that's that's interesting. That's really how it started, and then it kind of snowballed into an, a, a hobby and interest on its own. So I started thinking about you know when you see like this professional product photography it's ne- it's never in like hard you never see like harsh shadows or like nasty reflections from everywhere it's always very very mm-hmm. smooth uh light uh, even lightning and i didn't know at all at first how to achieve that i started studying and i mm-hmm. started getting into like artificial lights and strobes and diffusers and reflectors and like this is a whole rabbit hole right <laughs> and and since that became like a hobby in itself i i started just sharing my photos on instagram like I, I took them with the purpose of selling pens but then i asked yeah i might as well put them on instagram and then i realized that that in itself was kind of fun so that snowballed and i posted more and more on instagram but then i came to the point where i wanted to write more about the pens I posted on, posted about, than I could fit in the Instagram format. And that's really how mm-hmm. the how I started the blog. Nice. So how 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 long have you been writing the blog? Do you recall when when you started it? Maybe in like 2018 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah a few years ago. Yeah. A few years ago. So yeah. Um I, I wrote in in our show notes, I called your photography S tier. Like it's a really like elite, elite uh, stationary photography. And you mentioned that it it has become a hobby of yours. I don't know anything really about photography, which probably shows in my pictures as well. But for the photography nerds out there that want to know, can you tell them like your camera setup and your lens setup just like real quick so they're so they don't have mm-hmm. to uh, email me saying or email you saying, hey, what what camera does Jacob use or what lenses what is he using? Can you uh, give that rundown real quick? Well, what I will say is that the camera itself doesn't matter that much. What matters mm-hmm. in order of importance, number one, light modifier so light modifier is things like diffusers and reflectors and gobos and things that either makes the light softer or or bounces the light okay that's the single most important part of the setup the second the second most important setup is the light source and i always prefer a strobe light so like either speed lights or or studio strobes because then you can completely control because the strobe light is so bright compared to any other light and it it cancels out any other light so strobe if you master strobe lights and light modifiers that's pretty much anything you need then you can use even an iphone or whatever as long as you connect it to your strobe so i'm writing strobe (laughs) Lights, <laughs> light. See, I didn't do this for the audience, Jacob. Did it for me. <laughs> light. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I, I, I always love your, uh, your photography. Um, it's it definitely stands out for for, for sure. So, you started the blog in 2018 because mm. um, you stopped throwing away fountain pens <laughs> and you wanted to sell some. <laughs> and then eventually how did you how did you hook up with CY mm. to actually start recording a podcast right like you've got the blog mm. you've got the Instagram 
um, it's obviously growing, right? Like people are enjoying like what you're creating. How did the podcast come about? Yeah, so we have a little little pen community here in Tokyo now, and most of us met around like 2018, 2019. Some of us met at Pelican Hubs. Some of us met at this pen club Wagner's pen uh, meetups. Mm-hmm. So, and then we 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 stayed in touch, and then we did our own like meetups, and now we have a little group of pen enthusiasts here in Tokyo. And in this in this little group, we talked about, you know, maybe we should do a podcast with more of like a Tokyo perspective when we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the events we go to, you know, the trends we see, the the news and the products we, we've seen. Uh, so we talked about that for a while, but we weren't sure anyone would ever want to listen to that because, you know, the Pen Addict may be a niche podcast, but mm-hmm. Tokyo Inklings is the niche within the niche within the niche, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's my favorite type of podcast to listen to, like the, the mega niche, right? Like, we mm. cover some things, right? And we're like a niche podcast, exactly like you say. But you take it, like you said, uh, several levels <laughs> into the nicheness and I'm here for it. Like, and I know you have a bunch of listeners that are here for it. And, you know, I think, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but hopefully you're seeing, you know, that in the community built around, you know, the podcast in which you and CY and your, your other guests um, and your other regular co-hosts like, have created. I think it's really special. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And we're, yeah, we've been, blown away by you know how how well the podcast has done i mean we couldn't imagine it would go anywhere as well yeah yeah so we we about two years we decided i think it was cy that said okay let, let's actually do this so cy and i recorded the first episode and like, let, let's see how this goes and now 50 plus episodes later here we are yeah, I love it i hope it i love it and hope there's a lot more and, in your future and i would like to think i think we are probably the First and probably still only pen podcast to have done an emergency episode. So an emergency <laughs> episode about pens. <laughs> I love it. I love how like that instantly became a thing. Like I think about this stuff all the time. It's like the minute you did it, I was like, well, now that that's a, there's an emergency podcast <laughs> in the stationary community now. That is amazing. It was, it was great. <laughs> it was really good. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. All right, on a personal note, mm. what are your favorite pens, pen brands, inks, paper? Tell me some of the things that get you excited right now. So in terms of pens, I'm definitely a bit of a pilot fanboy and i think my Mm -hmm. favorite pilot model must be the custom 743 which is the same shape Mm -hmm. and size as 823 but the difference is that 743 is the cartridge converter and i like the simplicity of a cartridge converter now cy and Mm -hmm. i we Mm -hmm. agree to disagree about that particular (laughs) point Um, so i like the simplicity of a cartridge converter but more importantly i like the fact that custom 743 comes in all kinds of interesting nibs. You got posting nibs, wavelength nibs, soft nibs, falcon nibs, music nibs, course nibs. There's so many interesting nibs to choose from. So that's one reason why I like custom 743. Now it looks a bit, it feels a bit, it, it's not the most colorful pen you can imagine, but there are ways mm-hmm. to spice up a pen with aftermarket, <laughs> more, right? 
Yeah, yeah, we can talk. That's an entirely different yeah. podcast because maybe when I decide to do it and and that pen is the platform mm. for me to, to you know to go to mm. Bocamundo or, or do something along that nature, we'll have we'll have our own emergency yeah. <laughs> emergency <laughs> podcast <laughs> because Brad will need to raise funds yeah. <laughs> to get his pen fancied up. <laughs> um, so what uh, what ink brands like we talked about how crazy the ink market mm. is right now in your region. Um, what's standing out to you? So one ink brand that's not new per se, but which I recently discovered is Meta Club's inks. So Meta Club is a small retailer in Gunma Prefecture, like north of Tokyo. And they have their own line of inks that is interesting for two reasons. One is that the inks are actually made by Kuretake, which is you know known for okay. like, sumi inks, for like, Japanese calligraphy sure. and so on. And Real Sumi ink isn't suitable for fountain pens, but Mita Club asked Kuretake to create an ink that was suitable for fountain pen that had you know, the characteristics of Sumi ink, whatever that meant, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they collaborated on a series of inks for fountain pens. The other reason why I like Mita Club is that I think Mita Club's ink bottles are some of the most beautiful ink bottles I've ever seen. They're round bottles, but they're done in the using a traditional Japanese glassware technique called Edo Kiriko, where you cut these very intricate patterns in the glass. So this is very beautiful, like light reflecting in the bottle. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check that out, at least to to take a look. And that's one of the things, like one of the challenges for our uh, our non-Japanese uh, residents is sourcing some of this stuff. Mm. <laughs> Again, that's that's our third podcast episode. Mm. Like, I'm just making lists of all the podcast episodes mm. we have to have. But really, those episodes are covered at TokyoInglings.com. <laughs> that's where you need to go uh, to, to find out uh, about all this stuff. So, what's the the big recent releases in the Japanese market um, that that you've seen recently? Like what's popular besides the inks or any pens or anything coming out? Like I put down specifically dis- to discuss your discovery, uh, not discovery of the product, but your adventures in, in purchasing the Uni Kuratoga Dive, which is <laughs> something that I'm very interested in, in the things that I like. So tell me about, tell me about that process and what else is, is really hot right now in the market. Yeah, so glass pens continue to be incredibly popular, and I don't see that changing anytime soon because the the popular glass pen makers, they only produce very small batches and very slowly, so okay. it will take a long time for it to reach its saturation point. But yeah, that was, let me mm. interrupt you there. That was my question is, who is making mm. these, and is there a a a big manufacturer making these or is it's it's smaller it seems like from what you're saying smaller makers yeah these are small small uh, studios making uh, making gotcha. these glass pens um and what i i particularly like these glass pens with stub nibs so glass pens like really broad stub nib which is super fun mm-hmm. for like ink swatching or calligraphy or just playing with inks yeah, I, I've talked to a, a glass blower in the U.S. I've just exchanged a couple messages, mm-hmm. and they were so backed up in in doing a non pen related stuff. Like they dabble in the pen stuff. I said, I want this, but I want it with a stub nib. Right. I was like, Yeah, yeah, we can do it, but like a year from now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the most well known maker of uh, stub nib glass pens 
in Japan is something called Glass Studios Tooth, but it's almost impossible to buy those pens. You have to like wait in line hours for a lottery ticket for a chance to buy them. That's sort of the level we are at. Wow. But there is another company called Hanabi Glass. Maybe you heard about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're based in Yokohama. They also make glass pens with stub nibs, which are, in my view, equally good. But what's interesting about Hanabi is that you can actually buy the pens. And not only that, you can buy them from overseas because Hanabi has an online store in English and they ship overseas because okay. Hanabi is actually run by an American guy in Japan. Oh, interesting. Okay. So so that, that that's that's pretty cool, I think. Another like trend which I don't I don't quite understand yet, but for some reason pigmented inks are becoming popular again. So you know, Kakimori has it, it recently refreshed its line of pigmented inks. Bungbox just a few months ago released a new line of pigmented inks. Sailor just refreshed its its line of Storia pigmented inks. Mm. And just like a few days ago, Pilot announced a new line of pigmented inks. So there's something mm. going on with pigmented inks. I'm not quite underst- sure why this is becoming popular because they, I think that can be kind of boring, but there's something going on there. Yeah. I wonder if it's a dip in, in conjunction with the dip nib thing, right? Because that's, that makes it a little bit more accessible, mm. you know, as opposed to people hesitant to use fountain pens with them. I don't know, mm. maybe. But that's that's definitely something to to check out. I I like pigmented inks. I wasn't going to say I love them, but I do like using them from from time to time. But uh, just it tends to not be as frequent as pretty much every other type of ink. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, last thing, tell me about the Kuru Toga Dive experience that you had and why it surprised you so much as much as it surprised me. Well, it surprised everyone because this was like a stealth mm-hmm. release so, so, so <laughs> like suddenly my twitter feed and my instagram feed was full of people mm-hmm. just like discovering these pens like we haven't heard about them there was no heads up suddenly these are available and then they were not available anymore because they were all sold out yeah right and so even some of the most like well-known like stationary like journalists like bloggers influencers in mm-hmm. japan they were mm-hmm. all surprised by this um and some of them went very far with their, with their coverage. There's one guy called Bunguo, who is the editor mm-hmm. of um, Buntobi.com. He's one of the most famous stationary journalists in Japan. Mm-hmm. He got so excited about Kurutoga Dive that he published a 90-minute video <laughs> describing the mechanism in detail. Not on... I went through about 10 minutes. I made it about 10 minutes. I was good. <laughs> and he created this like, scale-up foam model just to dis- <laughs> dis- explain the mechanism, which I think is just oh. amazing. Like how that's 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 passion. That's passion. Yeah, I want to live in the market where that gets people all riled up. Like the <laughs> the Kurutoga pencil stealth release gets people in in a tizzy. That's the market I want to live in. So that's why I'm glad that I got to talk to you at least a little bit about that today, Jacob. Um, I really, really appreciate the time you took the, the, uh, the, like I said, in the beginning, the time zone management that we had to do to, to get this, uh, to happen. And, uh, I just thank you so much. Is there anything you want to, uh, to, to shout out or plug or anything? I'll have all the links to all the, the blog and the Instagram and the podcast, uh, anything else you want to say? 
Hey, maybe a shout out to my my co-host uh, CY. He's making some of the most crazy stacked nibs you'll find. Like he, <laughs> I met up with him a few days ago, and he had stacked a Sailor King of Pen nib. Like KOP <sighs> nibs are pretty expensive to begin with, right? You're not going to stack <laughs> yeah. those unless you really know what you're doing. Yep, that that's my favorite thing about CY is his risk tolerance is is much lower than mine like he doesn't care like he's gonna try right, right? like and i'm like oh no this is a king, king of pen nib and we're gonna do what exactly. <laughs> and he's like yeah he's see, he'll just like yeah this is what i'm gonna do and i'm like okay thank you cy so we'll put uh we'll put a link in he's gotten mike in trouble um with with some of the nibs um of of his creation so uh i'm probably next in that <laughs> so we'll see we'll see about that soon so uh all right jacob um you're amazing we will do this again sometime down the line and uh thank you so much for uh joining me on this episode of the podcast thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun i appreciate it all right and uh thanks to all our our sponsors this week harry's penchalet and topo folio until next week say goodbye jacob goodbye jacob (laughs) 